You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. One of the things that's so beautiful about Easter is roughly between 70 and 100 million people today are gathering in North America to do what we're doing, to worship a risen Savior. And then if you go globally, folks, it's over 2 billion people who represent themselves with Christ resurrected from the grave. And so the influence over the past 2,000 years has been enormous. And my hope this morning is this, that we can connect his story to our story. What is the relevance of the resurrection today in our lives? For children, as Tara said, for teenagers, for adults, and so forth. Now, before I forget, the fourth and fifth graders hate me preaching, so you guys can go ahead and leave. Yeah, that's what I heard, Mickey Boyle, thanks. Love you anyways. So, right? His story to our story. And we're going to launch this morning by hearing from one of our own, Walt Gilbert. Let's take a look at Walt's story. Well, Walt, it's been a blessing to get to know you and Gene over the past year here at West Wind Church. And so thank you for sharing your story. Uh, I understand you didn't grow up in a Christian background. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay. Well, um... Probably in high school, um, up until high school, I probably just had a, you know, just a growing up as a kid, but um, there was a lot of conflict and strife in our home. Um, parents were having problems and a lot of fighting, and so there was um, a lot of tension, and so that resulted in my parents ultimately getting a divorce when I was about 16. So from there, through the remainder of high school days, I uh, tried to escaped the best I could by doing a lot of sports and the high school things and then also had that hope that maybe going to college so you know I'll surely find out maybe some answers um, to to life maybe at that point so so Walt I understand uh, right around the first year of college you had a pretty unique experience tell us about that well I returned from um, freshman year in college back home and I was employed but I still didn't really have the answers that I'd hoped maybe would have come by maybe getting educated or exposing myself to a college experience and so I was out riding my bike one afternoon uh, but I heard some music coming from the park that was nearby our our house and so I rode down there thinking I'll check this out. When I got down there uh, there was a small group of people meeting and I really didn't know what it was about but as I got closer I could see that there was some uh, a placard or something and it said Jesus is the answer and so then I'm thinking oh this is a little uncomfortable but nevertheless um, I was close enough to uh, check it out. And then, in fact, I had a high school friend that was there, part of the group, and he, he came up and, uh, you know, started talking to me, and I was talking to him. So that was a little bit of broke the ice, but then at the same time, it was kind of uncomfortable. So I asked him what he was doing and, and uh, what they were doing, and they said, well, we're sharing the gospel with some people that might be interested today. And so not knowing really what that was, I was a little bit interested. 
Uh, and so we sat down and his name was David and he um, shared some things of his background and, um, and then he answered some questions, but mostly he was referring to scripture passages. And so I was pretty impressed with that. Uh, maybe the first verse that uh, really started gripping me was um, on one of the claims that Jesus made that you know, he was the way, the truth and the life and that no man comes to the Father except through him. And so um, I was never heard this. Uh, I was not re really resisting it, but I just didn't know enough. And so he continued to um, share with me from God's word. And um, I was feeling like maybe this was really something to it. We broke up our conversation uh, later that afternoon and he gave me a track that said, Jesus is the answer. And of course I was looking for answers. So I took that home and read it. And then that night I sort of got off by myself and I, I believed that uh, Jesus was who he said he was and that he loved me. And that if I um, confess my sin and, and ask him into my heart that he would forgive me and that he would give me uh, a relationship. And so I did that and so I felt pretty good. But um, my friend had also asked me to um, come to church with him the next morning, which I said I would. And so I went there and listened to the service. And then afterward, um, he said, hey, do you want to go up to the altar and, and pray and accept Christ? And I said, well, knowing that I, I sort of did, but I was thinking, yes, I, I need to do this, no problem. And so we did that and that sort of formalized things. And so I got encouraged that afternoon. And anyway, from there, I went back to college and um, yeah. on a different, a different view. Yeah. So decades have passed. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about what Christ has meant to you over the past many years? Well, it, I believe that, um, you know, Jesus is, is the rock and he's also have the words of eternal life and that he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And so over the years, just staying in the, the word regularly, um, I have able to gain the principles that I needed to be successful in life and, uh, and to be accepted. Uh, when, when you fall, you can be accepted again. And uh, just how to be a, a, a husband, the proper husband, and how to be uh, the proper dad. I don't know how well I've done on that, but I feel like if I hadn't had this relationship with Christ in those relationships and all other things, um, I think that it would be a different story for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, tremendous story. Thank you for sharing that with West Wind. And again, we appreciate you and Gene. So glad you're at West Wind Church. God bless you all. I agree. Amen. Yeah. <clears throat> One of the things that I so appreciate about Walt's story is decades have passed since that day he met Jesus and his life's been transformed. The legacy of Christ continues. His marriage, raising the children, stewarding life. And here he is, new with Gene at Westwind, uh, investing for the kingdom and glory of God. And so that's how it works, folks. How does Jesus' story 2,000 years ago relate to our story today? And I hope that's what we'll discover. I have a prayer this morning. It comes from Philippians 3. Paul said this, I pray that you may know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. The resurrection has power. It's life-giving. And I trust that will be a reality. You know, Larry King Live has been one of the most popular talk show hosts ever, right? And of course, he has passed away. But he said this about Jesus, and I quote, 
He says, Jesus was the most influential person who ever lived. I agree with Larry King. Sadly, though, Larry's own testimony says he never personalized that. He never really came to uh, be influenced by the power of the resurrection and by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I hope our story will be different today. So if you have your Bibles, and whether it's a cell phone, a tablet, it doesn't matter to me, I want you to open your Bibles this morning. I'm going to give you a moment to do that. Because this text, as Scott already alluded to some of it, is a really interesting text. We've been spending over a year, about a year and a half in the Gospel of Luke. We're in Luke 24, the last chapter, and I was just like awestruck at some of the things I learned uh, this past week in preparing for Easter. So I hope you have your Bibles, your devices, Luke 24. We're going to focus in on the first 12 verses. Pastor Jason's going to cover the rest of the chapter in the next two weeks. We'll wrap up Luke. But I'm going to allude a little bit to some of the chapter because you've got to take Luke 24 as a whole. Unfortunately, I only get 35 minutes. I'd need about 85 minutes to do the whole chapter, and you prefer 35, right? Right? Well, you can say amen. Some of you is like 25, you know? All right, let's dive in. Verse 1, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in, but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. Later, uh, Luke says those are angels, and so. So the women were terrified, bowed down to the ground. Notice what the angels say. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. He is not here, but he has been resurrected. Now, I love this next phrase, and we're going to come back to it. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified and rise on the third day. Notice what happens to the gals. And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the 11, meaning the 11 apostles, and to the rest. Now, here's a list of the ladies, actual names, real people that you see throughout the gospel. Mary Magdalene, her life was transformed. Joanna, she came from the household of a pagan king, uh, Agrippa. Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. And this is striking to me, folks. Look at this next verse. But these words seem like nonsense to them, meaning the apostles, the disciples, and they did not believe the women. Peter, however, got up. Don't you love Peter? And ran to the tomb. When he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen clothes. So he went home amazed at what happened. And so here's the really cool thing. Luke has a purpose, and again, a year and a half ago, we looked at Luke 1. What was his goal? His goal was to do his homework, to be an investigative reporter, to meet with eyewitnesses, to get an actual account and write out for a gentleman named Theophilus, a leader in the ancient world, an orderly account of Jesus' life. And so he concludes his gospel, 24 chapters, and then, of course, he writes the book of Acts with 
a striking account one day in the life of the apostles, the women, the disciples. It's called Resurrection Day. Luke says, I did my best to help prove to you that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He had to die, be buried, and rise from the grave. Luke says, trust me. The first talk I gave a year and a half ago was, you can trust Luke. Why? He's objective. He's honest. He did his homework. He heard from eyewitnesses. We're going to hear from some eyewitnesses today. We're going to get their testimony. And so I hope you have your Connect card as you came in today. We always encourage you to take notes, jot down some thoughts, share that with folks. But here's the blessing. The blessing is this. Each one of us can experience Christ's resurrection power by trusting the biblical record of his life. Luke wants you to trust him. He just does. That's why the Word of God is written, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. Much of this faith journey is about trusting. So three trusts today. And you're going to love the first one, I believe. So trust number one, trust the skeptics. What a strange way to start out a Resurrection Sunday sermon. Trust the skeptics. Why do I say that? Let's look at verse 1 from chapter 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, meaning the women, bringing, and don't miss this, folks. You miss this, you'll miss this point. Bringing the spices they had prepared. So, question. Why did the women come to the tomb? Did they come anticipating the tomb was going to be empty? Did they come anticipating a resurrected Christ? It's just the opposite. Luke tells us why. They brought spices. You know why he brought spices? This is burial fragrance. This is ointment. What happens in the ancient world is you wrap the body, you put it in a tomb, you seal it. It decomposes over a year. When it decomposes, it smells. If you want to honor the individual who died, you bring spices. You anoint the body. You bless the deceased one. They came looking for a dead Jesus just to anoint the body. But, of course, the angel said, hey, <laughs> why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's risen. And, oh, boy, there's an aha moment for these gals. They go back to the apostles and look at the, uh, their response. Look at verses 9 through 11. Talk about skeptics. Returning to the tomb... They reported all these things to the 11, meaning the 11 apostles, and to the rest. There's a lot of folks there. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, the other women, with them, telling the apostles these things. And this is just remarkable. This is how objective Luke is. But these words seem like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. You know what I would suggest this morning? If you're a skeptic here today about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave, as many people are, guess what? You are in good company. Why? The apostles, the disciples, the women, they were all skeptic. In fact, they were the first unbelievers. And what I learn about that is, and we're going to see this, Jesus is a friend of skeptics, folks. 
but they were honest skeptics. You know what's the reality this morning? Would you agree with me that it is hard to believe that a dead man who experienced Roman crucifixion rose from the grave? Is that hard to believe? I think you should say amen, Pastor. That's hard to believe. It's always been hard to believe. It was hard for the apostles, for the disciples, and Jesus told them about it. They're skeptical. Now, track with me just for a moment. There's a lot of critics out there about Christianity. One of the top criticisms about Christianity is this. Here it is. They try to say this, that, okay, yeah, Jesus lived. He taught. He was a pretty cool guy. He died, but he didn't raise from the grave. You know what? His band of brothers, the apostles, the disciples, the women, they all got together, and they collaborated they came up with a common story, and the common story was this. Oh, we went to the tomb. He was raised from the grave, and the story spread. You know what Luke 24 says? Hogwash. They were the first unbelievers. They were the first skeptics. The disciples didn't believe. The apostles didn't believe. This is nonsense. What I love about this is it's a great apologetic for the Christian faith. You're not trying to pull the wool over someone's eyes. These ladies, these followers, the band of brothers just didn't really know what was going on. They were on a faith journey too. Why? It's hard to believe that Jesus Christ rose from the grave, but he did, as they're going to find out. And so what I want to encourage you is, if you're sitting here today as a skeptic, you're in good company. The Bible understands that. And if you look back on the Christian history, guess what? When you're an honest skeptic, you come to Christianity looking for truth, you'll find it. Let me tell you a few stories. One of the guys I really appreciate, his name is Sir William Ramsey. Pretty cool name, Sir William Ramsey. Not just Keith Missile, Sir William Ramsey. Like it. So about 100 years ago, he was a skeptic. You know what he did? He spent 20 years of his life as a PhD from Oxford University saying, I'm going to do one thing. I'm going to disprove the historicity and the authenticity of Luke's writings. He went on a journey from Jerusalem to Rome. He looked at all the facts, geography, history, archaeology. Guess what happened? 20 years. He came to genuine faith in Christ. He said, Luke is authentic. You can trust him. You ever hear the name Lee Strobel? Know that name? His wife became a Christian a number of years ago, and Lee was ticked off. Why? He's an atheist. And she started to go to a really vibrant church in Chicago, and her life is getting Christianized, transformed, and he is mad. So he's working at the Chicago Tribune at the time, top of his game. And he says to one of his buddies, I, I just can't stand it. I think my marriage is over. Well, the guy says, well, you're an atheist and you're a journalist. Do this. Go after their number one issue. What's the number one issue? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. You know what Lee does? Two-plus-year journey as a journalist par excellence. Chicago Tribune. He traveled the world. He researched. He studied. He interviewed. Guess what happened to Lee Strobel? Came to genuine faith in Christ. Over the past decades, he's written Case for Christ, Case for the Resurrection, Case for Faith, Case for Grace, and the list goes on and on. The skeptic got transformed. Why? It was honest skepticism. Let me tell you one more story. How many of you have watched uh, uh, C.S. Lewis, Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe? Let me see your hands. Yeah, it's Narnia, right? 
Guess what? C.S. Lewis, years ago, was an antagonist. He was mad at God. He shook his fist. God, how come so much pain? How come so much suffering? But he had a friend, J.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, and J.R. Tolkien influenced him. And C.S. Lewis took his skepticism to the scriptures, and his life was transformed, came to genuine faith in Christ. Guess what? He became one of the most influential persons in the 20th century for Jesus Christ. That's honest skepticism. That's people whose lives have been transformed. If you're a skeptic this morning, bring your skepticism to Christ. He'll meet you there just as long as it's honest. Secondly, trust the Scriptures. Now, don't miss this because you're going to see something really profound from this text. Jesus engages their skepticism. And the first thing he does is he engages their skepticism with what? Truth. Jesus said, you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. So let's see how this happens. I can't cover it all. We'll get back to this in the next two weeks. But look at this. Look at verses 6 through 8. Look at how the angels deal with the women's skepticism. The angel said to the women, Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, rise on a third day. And what happened? They remembered his words. I find that remarkable because if you're like me, I need my memory jockeyed quite a bit. I forget way more than I remember. What the angels did for the women is just remarkable. Let's go back, ladies. Remember when you were in Galilee? Do you remember the teaching of Christ? Because it's a constant teaching. The Son of Man's going to suffer. He's going to die. He's going to be buried. He's going to raise from the grave. The angels brought to light Scripture. Why do I say Scripture? Because it's the words of Christ. We call it the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so all of a sudden, they remembered the words of the Gospels. They remembered the words of truth. And there's this aha moment. Let me continue the journey here. And so the rest of chapter 4, this is the morning. Then there's an afternoon meeting and an evening meeting. Let me summarize the afternoon and evening. So it's afternoon. Two men are traveling from Jerusalem to a place called Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. You may be familiar the men are discouraged. They're wondering. We thought he was going to be the hope of Israel. They're down and out. Who shows up? Jesus. They have a meal together. And during that meal, when he breaks the bread, their eyes are open. And guess what? He opens the scriptures to them. You know where he takes them? He takes them to Moses and the prophets. Folks, please hear me today. In the first century in Christ's day, there was only the Old Testament. You realize that, right? There was no New Testament. There was Genesis to Malachi, 39 books written over a period of 1,000 years, about 40 different authors from all walks of life contributing to the Word of God. And so what does Jesus do? At that meal, he opens the Scriptures. He takes them to Moses. He takes them to the prophets. Then... That's the afternoon. The men from Emmaus come back to Jerusalem. They're like, wow, I think we've met the risen Savior. Guess what Jesus does? In the evening, the women are gathered. The men from Emmaus are gathered. 
the disciples and apostles are gathered. They're all in Jerusalem. You know what Jesus does? He shows up, and let me show you what happens. It's just remarkable. Look at uh, verses 44 through 45 of Luke 24. Don't miss this. If you miss it, you miss this point of Scripture. So he's meeting. It's the end of the day. He tells all these people, this is the core followers. He says, these are my words to truth that I spoke to you while I was with you. Same thing the angel said to the women, that everything must be written about me where? Three categories. The law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then I love this next statement. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, the revelation of God. It's called divine revelation, special revelation. He opens Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, 150 Psalms, Psalm 32, Psalm 22, Psalm 69. He opens the prophets, Isaiah 52, Isaiah 53, the suffering servants. And he shows himself in the Old Testament scripture. Now, let me show you something that's really beautiful. Remember the two guys in Emmaus? They're having a meal. Check out their response. Look at Luke 24, 32. So they said to each other, these are the two guys, weren't our hearts ablaze within us while he was talking to us on the road and doing what? Explaining the scriptures. Friends, that's it. You want to move from skepticism to genuine faith and belief? Trust the living word of God. Hebrews says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of our heart. Isaiah said the grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God endures forever. Jesus says man, woman should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Right now you're listening to the word of God. Something's happening in your heart. I'll tell you what's happening. Either you're hard or calloused and you're pushing back. Either you're drifting off and going to sleep because there's not an openness to the word, or you're like these men on Emmaus. The word of God is open. It's alive, and your heart is set ablaze. Where are you today? Does this book bring you life? Or is it blah, 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 been there, done it? I remember at age 19, one of the most remarkable things happened to me. I heard for the first time, the good news of Jesus Christ, the first time. And I became a Christian. And I had grown up in the church. I'd served in the church. I learned the language of the church. It was Latin. And so it was kind of an interesting rearing. But then I became a Christian at age 19. I'll never forget the first book of the Bible I ever read for myself was the Gospel of John. And I remember sitting there in my apartment, just alone, with the Gospel of John for the first time. And I feel like these men on, on the road to Emmaus. My heart was warmed. Wow. Words of life. True truth. My heart was set ablaze. Folks, it's been 42 years. And that continues. Not always, not every day. But I'll tell you something. Love the book. So, you want to move from skepticism 
lean into the scriptures. Now, the beautiful thing, on this side of Calvary, we have the New Testament. We have the fulfillment, 27 more books added to 39, 66 books. And then we've been through Luke for how long? Fulfillment, fulfillment, fulfillment. This isn't new. This is old. There is a continuity of God's plan through Jesus Christ our Lord, right? Moses, Psalms, prophets. Thank God for that. Now, finally, if you're still hanging out there, you say, now nah, I'm getting moving away from skepticism. I'm embracing some of this truth. Let's go to the final point, and it's wonderful. Trust number three, trust the Savior. And it just comes from the text, folks. I'm not trying to fit this to Easter. I let the text speak. I didn't plan on speaking on skepticism. What a weird topic. Really weird topic, right? Uh, I remember Scott Carson, a few years ago, we were doing a Christmas uh, Eve, Eve service, and I was talking about Joseph, who doubted. He was like, man, that was a weird talk. Christmas, doubting? Yeah! That's what happens with God's people. We doubt, we struggle. Why is faith such a precious thing? Because it's a gift from God when he opens our hearts and minds. And so, let's look at this beautiful thing. Look at verse 2. Look what the angels say. The gals first, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Can I show you a couple pictures this morning? You know I love Israel. This goes back to the first century. These are actual tombs from Christ's day, okay? Check it out. Just get perspective. Check out the size of that stone. And again, the Bible's just factual. It just gives kind of the, here, here's what happened. And the question you got to ask is, why did they have a stone in the ancient world? Can I just throw out a few things? Number one, to make the tomb sacred. Right? It wasn't like an open-door policy. <laughs> you know, come and go from your tomb whenever you want. That would be weird. There were other things called grave robbers. You ever hear of that? Where people would literally loot the tombs, right? So we're, we're making this place sacred. But also, it's honor that when you come as family, there were a lot of women, you roll the tomb, you, you, you spice the body. A year later, the body's decomposed. They take the bones, they put it in what's called an ossuary, a bone box, and they bring it to the families. So this is normative. Jesus was buried in a rich man's tomb. Now, you might ask the question, okay, <clears throat> so why was the stone rolled away? Well, it wasn't for Jesus. You know that, right? He didn't need to roll the stone away to get out of the tomb. He just poof, out. You know why the stone was rolled away? So you and I could go in. So we could go in and see he's not there. There's his garments. He's risen indeed. That's why the stone was rolled away. Now let me show you something. Look at verses 5 and 6. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. He is not here, but he has been resurrected. And so one of the goals, I think, of Luke is to help us who might be skeptics to move to genuine faith. Honest skepticism, taking Scripture, but ultimately looking to Jesus. So let me show you how this chapter concludes, and I think you'll see the aha moment. Turn in your Bibles, if you have it, to verses 36 through 43. Now follow along with me because this is super fun. And this is the evening. Remember, we had the morning with the women. Afternoon in Emmaus with the two men. They all came back to Jerusalem. Who's there in Jerusalem? Apostles, disciples, women, men to Emmaus. Big gathering. They had a church group. 
okay? Maybe a potluck. So here we go. And as they were saying these things, he himself stood among them. He said to them, peace to you. Why, they're fearful, they're fretting. But they were startled. They were terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Okay? <laughs> they still didn't get it. Even after the angels, even after Jesus showed up in Emmaus, they're, they're thinking this is a ghost, this is a spirit, this is a vision, this is weird. Now, notice what Jesus does. Because we're skeptical. It's hard to believe in the resurrection. Why are you troubled, he asked them. And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Jesus asked some core questions. Why are you struggling? Wait, the angel spoke to you. You remember the word in Galilee? I met with you in Emmaus. We had a meal. Your eyes were open. You saw the scriptures. Why are you still doubting? Why? Because it's hard to believe in the resurrection. That's why. So, he says, and I love how tangible it gets in this meeting. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. That it is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you can see I have. Having said this, what does he do? He shows them his hands and feet. But while they're still amazed and, notice the word, unbelieving because of their joy, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish, not fried fish, nice healthy diet, and he took it and ate in their presence. Now stick with me, and I'm not going to be weird, but I think I'm going to be factual. Think of the journey. This is one day, first day. This is resurrection day. Women show up expecting someone dead. They were going to bless his body with fragrance. Angel says, nope, he's not here. He's risen. They go back, testify, nonsense. Midday, we're in Emmaus, two guys frustrated. I thought Israel's Messiah was here. We had hoped he was the guy. Jesus shows up, opens the scriptures, opens their hearts. They head back to Jerusalem and tell the apostles and disciples, we've seen the risen Lord. Two testimonies. Now it's evening. They're still doubting. They're still unbelieving. They're still struggling to be people of faith. These are the closest people to Jesus. These are those who ran with him for three years. And so what does Jesus do? He says, guys, let's just get down to the core of things. I'm not a ghost, number one. And if you need evidence that demands a verdict, look at my hands. Look at my feet. Touch me. I am physical. In other words, the resurrection is physical, literal, bodily resurrection. Today, Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. He is physically glorified for all eternity. Do you realize, according to Revelation 5, we will see his wounds forever? Because he is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Revelation 5. Then, if you're still struggling, guess what? I'm hungry, guys. How about a fish fry? Now, you, you think it's incidental in Luke. It's not incidental. If you think I'm a ghost, if you think I'm a spirit, ghosts and spirit don't eat fish or like french fries and potato salad and macaroni and cheese. So can I have a piece of fish? And he eats in their presence. You know what he was trying to convince them? That yes, he is risen from the grave. He is alive. Hallelujah, we have a Savior. 
Now, one final passage, if you'd turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is the resurrection chapter. Remember, I wanted to encourage his story, our story. How is our story, our life impacted today, folks? If we can't connect the dots, this is just a story that goes back 2,000 years ago, has no relevance. However, if his story impacts our story, just like Walt Gilbert, man, there could be a life of faith and fruit. You may be familiar with a man named Saul. He hated Christians, he persecuted the church, and he despised Christ. You know who showed up? Acts chapter 9, Luke records the resurrected Jesus, and Saul became Paul. He became the greatest missionary next to Jesus the world has ever known. He gave his life as a martyr for the gospel. How did an antagonist, someone who persecuted and hated Christians and Christ, become a great missionary? It's only one, one way. He came to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. That's the way. So let me show you his testimony in closing today. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8. Paul writes, For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, point number two, and that he appeared to Peter, Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. We don't die, we fall asleep. Eternal life. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one abnormally born, he appeared to me. Those are real names, real people. As Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, some of those folks were still alive and could validate the appearances. And so, folks, here's the encouragement. The Lord wants us to believe that the most important event in human history is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. Can I close with one more thought? This was God's plan. I hope you know that. Let me show you the scripture. Luke is very clear that Jesus must die. He wasn't blindsided. This just kind of didn't happen haphazardly. The Bible says that Christ was slain from the foundations of the world. This is God's plan for your salvation and mine. This is God's plan for redemption, to purchase a people, Revelation 5, 9, from every tribe, from every language, from every ethnic group on planet Earth. Travel the world today. The Church of Jesus Christ is worshiping. His legacy lives because people come to know him and the power of his resurrection. So do you know him today? Folks, not know about him. That doesn't really matter. It just doesn't. It's head knowledge. James says the demons know about him and they tremble. Do you know him here? Has your heart been open to the truth, the true truth of the gospel, the good news. That's what Easter's all about. Remember Paul's prayer, my prayer, that you might know Jesus, the power of his resurrection. Do you know him today? What does it mean to know him? It's pretty simple. Tara explained it pretty well, so I'll just build upon that. 
It's simply knowing first the bad news that we're sinners separated from God. That is bad news, but that's not God's plan, and that's not his best for you. And so what does he do? As Tara said, Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love for you in that while we are yet sinners, in the very act of sinning, Christ dies for us. A few weeks ago, we looked at two thieves on the cross. One kept mocking. The other one says, Jesus, King Jesus, remember me when you enter paradise. He looks over to a repentant thief. Today, you'll be with me in heaven. He saw a sin. He saw a separation. He repented of his sin, and he put his faith, he put his trust in Christ. Today, you'll be with me in heaven. Easter's all about hope. Hope for this life, as Walt said. It impacts your marriage, your family, your stewardship, your joy, your purpose. It answers questions. But 70, 80, 90 years, what about eternity? Hope for eternity. And so I want to give you an opportunity this morning, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, personally, you haven't experienced the power of his resurrection personally, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Could you please bow your heads, close your eyes this morning? And this is a sacred moment. I mentioned 42 years ago I made a decision to follow Christ. It changed my life forever. And if you're here recognizing, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know my sin is separated, but I want that to change today. And I want to confess my sin. I want to turn from my sin. I want to put my faith and trust in Christ. You can make that decision today. And so as your head is bowed, your eyes are closed, God sees your heart. He knows what's going on internally. But what I did is I voiced a simple prayer of faith to God, just expressing my desire to know Jesus. And so if that's your desire today, I want to lead you in a prayer. And you could just pray this by faith to the Lord. Pray with me, please, if that's your desire. Heavenly Father, I recognize today that I'm a sinner. And I want to confess that to you. I want to turn from my sin. And I want to turn to the Savior. I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus. Father, I want to be forgiven all my sins, past, present, future. So I thank you for coming into my life by faith. I thank you for forgiving me. I thank you for giving me hope in this life and for all eternity. And Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.